A fashion decree from Moscow says men's trousers will be shorter and tighter, although it doesn't say on which end or just where. Probably the dandies of capitalistic America, where cloth is still cut wide, will not take too readily to the new Russia style, but I suppose if they do, I'm ready, because I have a suit which is as short and tight as any the law will allow. That was the voice recorded in 1962 of the late John Gould, a legendary storyteller and monitor institution whose first essay appeared in the newspaper 80 years ago this weekend. If you'd like, stick around after the credits for a full reading of the essay. It's called Long Pants and Longer Memories. Welcome to Why We Wrote This. I'm this week's host, Clay Collins. For decades, Mr. Gould's essays ran in the Monitor's Home Forum, a section that's been a staple since our founding in 1908. The Monitor's Owen Thomas joins us today. The Home Forum has been part of Owen's editorial portfolio for about half of his 40-plus years at the Monitor. Welcome, Owen. Thanks, Clay. Good to be here. For listeners who don't know, what is the Home Forum and what do you as its editor look for in a Home Forum essay? The Home Forum has been a lot of things over the years. Uh, It started out as a collection of 20 short items. This is because the founder of the newspaper, Mary Baker Eddy, knew that readers liked short items. But it's, it's evolved significantly since then to the point that now it consists of a personal essay, uh, a language column, crossword puzzle, a Sudoku, and the only labeled religious article in the newspaper. In a personal essay, I'm looking for stories that speak to common humanity. I'm looking for stories that uh, talk about a, a revealing moment in someone's life. They thought one way, and then this happened, and they thought another way. I see. Now to Gould. John Gould was a New England writer born the same year as the Monitor's founding, 1908. You've said that the more you've learned about him, the more you realize that he's really deserving of more attention than he's been given. Tell us about him. Well, I've been discovering John Gould for the past 40 years at least. I'm still learning things about him, about the incredible life he lived and how accomplished he was. I I wanted to seize this opportunity of the 80th anniversary to call people's attention to John Gould once again because I think they'd really enjoy him. His motivation for writing began with his discovery of the goodness of humanity and the joyfulness of life that pervades all his columns. Looking over his hit list, uh, you know, he's written 30 books. He was a speechwriter for a congresswoman. Uh, and senator. And senator. Told L.L. Bean that, hey, he might want to create a catalog. That's right. Who um, was an early advisor to the still green main writer Stephen King and right. a contestant on the Guess Their Identity show to tell the truth. Amazing. Yes. The Stephen King story is especially noteworthy. Stephen King got in trouble in high school and the guidance counselor basically said, go see this guy who's editing the newspaper or else. And so uh, Stephen King showed up, and he said later that John Gould taught him everything he needed to know about writing and editing. There was also um, a gentleness to his approach. And uh, you said at one point that that you learned something uh, through editing his work about being an editor. I've heard other editors say this, that John Gould is someone from whom editors can learn. And I learned a critical lesson. It's something that really stayed with me. It was in person. I was visiting him, and he exclaimed at one point, writers just want to be loved. (laughs) (laughs) Writers just want to be loved. They want to be encouraged. 
if a writer knows you like them, they'll do anything for you, basically.、Mm. Can you talk about some stories of Gould's in particular that really stand out, that really endure? One particular story that I encountered, I was only 18 months into editing Home Forum at that point, my first stint, and I got a column from the venerable John Gould. This was, he was in his like 56th year of filing these columns. It concerned a group of boys playing baseball by a railroad line. And this was back in 1918. John Gould was、uh, 10 years old. And they're playing ball. And every,、uh, every day at 4 30, a slow train goes by. As the train pulls by this one time, somebody hits a line drive and it heads right for the train. And by golly, the porter catches it. <laughs> it was their only baseball. And so they're, they're out of baseball. They have to go get this. They have to go to L.O. Bean to buy a new baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, two weeks later, same train, same guys playing baseball. And this time, the porter's in the vestibule and he throws something to them. And it's a baseball. It's a brand new baseball. Not only that, but it's signed by all the first string、uh, roster of the Boston Red Sox, which、Amazing. includes、uh, George Herman Ruth, who、huh. at that point was a left handed pitcher. Pretty good one. In going over the body of Gould's work, I was amazed by all the yarns about blueberries and buck saws and $14 suits. It's wonderful.、Right. It's also, you know, delightfully quaint. And to talk about John Gould isn't really just to celebrate some sort of glory days of essayists in the monitor. It's really about, as you've said, bringing him into the present. Well, he is timeless. He welcomes you into his world and he treats everyone gently. And it's, it's wonderful to see him work. He can start, start on, on one theme and then take you around. He's spinning you up in the air. He's throwing you around. But then at the very end, he brings it all back and sets you down. And then you see, oh, I see where he was going with this. <laughs> But he's awfully good at that. Thanks, everyone, for listening. To find a transcript of this episode and our show notes, including some links to Mr. Gould's essays, visit csmonitor.com slash why we wrote this. If you'd like, stick around after the credits for a full reading of the essay Long Pants and Longer Memories. This episode was hosted by me, Clay Collins, and was produced and edited by Samantha Liney Perfuss. Our sound engineers were Tim Malone and Alyssa Britton, with original music by Noel Flatt. Produced by the Christian Science Monitor, copyright 2022. This one is called For Some Reason Long Pants. And longer memories. A fashion decree from Moscow says men's trousers will be shorter and tighter, although it doesn't say on which end or just where. Probably the dandies of capitalistic America, where cloth is still cut wide, will not take too readily to the new Russia style, but I suppose if they do, I'm ready, because I have a suit which is as short and tight. As any the law will allow, and it's in fairly good condition. It hangs on a nail upstairs in the barn, and it's covered with a cotton feed bag. The feed bag isn't in bad condition either. Now, this suit happens to be the first one I ever owned, and I suppose I was all of fifteen then because boys didn't get clapped into long legged suits the minute they could climb out of a playpen in, in those days. Boys used to wear boys' clothes until they approached. Approximate maturity. You weren't supposed to put on airs. 
They used to pay men's wages and boys' wages then, and when the foreman called you aside one day and said he was now putting you on man's wages, it meant that you'd accomplished something, the likes of which our present age, I suppose, wouldn't understand. And it also meant that you could put on long pants if you wanted to. Anyway, since by some standard I had reached the great moment, we sent word one evening to Mr. Osgood, and he came over to the house. Mr. Osgood had the agency in our town. He brought a book of swatches and a tape measure, and while engaging in pleasant converse with the family, he went round me like a cooper round a barrel, and he took my size. Everybody turned to and helped select the cloth. In those days, a suit, you know, only cost fourteen dollars and it was no light and transient matter to select the fabric of anything that expensive. It, it had to be something that would wear, because suits didn't grow on trees, and it would be a long time before I got another one. Fourteen dollars, that's what I paid. The pattern had to be right, too, for a young man cutting his first figure at local sociables wouldn't want to look grotesque and bizarre in something frivolous. We chose a decent brown with a kind of sandy or maybe cornmeal grain to it, and it had a faint pencil stripe that accentuated the vertical a little bit. I was supposed to have my choice of suspenders or belt, greatest. That went with the deal. But Mother decided suspenders would be more graceful. She called them galluses. was against belts because they might shut off your wind. Mother never liked belts, and was always able to think up some reason. Mr. Osgood diplomatically offered that galluses were generally more popular at that time, so I felt all right about it, and and I really did want a belt. I was somewhat astonished when the suit came postpaid from Chicago. I, I didn't suppose Mr. Osgood even knew about Chicago. A little note in the box thanked us for our custom and said if the fitting wasn't satisfactory to get in touch with our representative, it said. And that, of course, was Mr. Osgood. But the fit was a dandy. It was a dream. I wore it first, I think, to a strawberry time and was the, the bell of the ball at least. Everybody spoke of the nice fit and the attractive weave, and several said with unbelieving air, you didn't get that from Mr. Osgood, did you? And at closing exercises at the end of the school year, I was a beautiful thing in my new suit. And then, of course, I put it on a hanger in the closet, and I passed the summer making hay. And by fall, I was six hands higher, and no longer the proportioned vision Mr. Osgood had fitted. My feet stuck out the end of the pants as if I wore stilts. My hands dangled from the sleeves like paddles on a string. And the vest was so tight I boggled my eyes like somebody who's just swallowed, inadvertently, a whole cucumber. But the suit had cost fourteen whole dollars, and I was stuck with it. In fact, I had to alternate the two pairs of pants faithfully so I might get the longest possible good from the investment. And when I elected to repeat the sad story of Philip Nolan in the prize-speaking contest the next spring, I certainly hit the high spot of my considerable career. The hilarity I engendered was not in keeping with the high drama of the story. Instead of weeping for poor Nolan, my audience hooped and cheered, and all I needed to go directly onto the Orpheum circuit was a black paper patch over my front teeth. When I gestured culturally to indicate the deep remorse that flooded the unfortunate hero's saddened soul, my hand swept the air like a comet crossing the sky. And this, of course, took up the alternate armpit and jerked me like a spasm. I 
had rehearsed it in a sweater with unfettered freedom. But I was stuck with it. The pants got let down to the last thread. The waistband had a gusset and the gusset had a gore. The vest was ripped up the back so I could button the front and the coat was now so tight through the back that my side pockets were up under my ears. But I wore the suit until both pairs of pants developed an unstable economy, after which they were discreetly patched and I wore them some more. But at last the suit was more than too small. There came a time. I hung it up in the closet for good and somehow was able to finance my second suit. But do you know, by that time, the price had gone up to sixteen fifty, and soon after that, suits had reached $18, and then with only one pair of pants. I understand that now they're even higher. And some years later, my primal suit was discovered by somebody who was hooking a rug. But I put my foot down and said I guessed I'd keep my first suit because of certain fond memories. I took it up in the barn where I keep my mementos. I'm not moved by the Muscovite edict for shorter and tighter clothes. I can remember sitting stiffly at functions when my trousers were so tight that I couldn't wink to play Winkum. And that certainly slows your social activities when you're 16 or 17 and the time is ripe. Still, I guess I had fun, and I won't form any premature opinions until we have further word from abroad.